today on Ag News Daily. We, we all want to go green, right, in some capacity, but those things come with a cost. We're doing things the way we're doing them now because they're the most cost effective, right? Welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here hanging out with you. Going to bring you some headlines and uh, a good conversation today, right, Delaney? Yes, yes, we are, Tanner. We've got a good Twitter superstar we're going to be talking to here in just a little bit. Ooh, I like superstars. That'll be a fun conversation. We are sitting here February 8th, 2024. And that brings us more winter weather advisories for much of Montana and North Dakota. The storm system is moving across the northern plains, according to the National Weather Service. Uh, Potential for three more inches of snow is expected for North Dakota. That comes with also a potential for some light glazing of ice and wind gusts up to 35 miles per hour. These advisories will remain in effect until tomorrow morning. Most locations will transfer transition into snow today. In eastern Kansas and western Missouri, there is a red flag warning in effect due to the extremely dry conditions and the wind picked up. Winds will gust up to 45 miles per hour, but will be sustained 20 to 30 miles per hour this afternoon into the evening. The relative humidity will drop as low as 25% in those regions. We come back here to the state of Iowa. We are also in a wind advisory today that will go in effect uh, at nine o'clock this morning and will continue until this evening. We also have chances for some clouds and scattered thunderstorms today, Delaney, but that's a look at the weather this morning. Fantastic. Well, let's take a look at the economy this morning as well, Tanner. We saw the latest ag economy barometer released earlier this month showed weakening commodities are casting a shadow on farmer sentiment. When we look at the latest ag economy barometer, that is down compared to January of 2024. As we look at some other indications here of how farmers are looking at the year ahead, we also saw the farm financial performance index lower by ag economists after talking with farmers and looking ahead to next year, farmers shared that they have a few top concerns as they think about the year ahead. Uh, Lower crop and livestock prices was certainly one of those. Higher inputs came in as the first biggest concern for the year ahead. Environmental policies also made the list and uh, is one that is increasingly more concerning to farmers as we look at the last few years, as well as rising interest rates, followed by the availability of inputs, and lastly, farm policy. So just a few of those top concerns there by farmers. Another interesting piece from the Ag Economy Barometer was looking at their operating notes. Most farmers, Tanner, when we look at 2024, about 72% said they expect their operating note to be about the same size as last year. Only 15% said they expect it to be a larger operating note and 13% said they expect it to be shorter. Those are some of the big takeaways there from this month's ag economy barometer but all in all uh farmers are understanding that there's going to be a maybe a tough year ahead here yeah this uh shock to the farm income could spur some action out of lawmakers around the farm bill the usda is forecasting a 440 billion dollar plunge in 2024 income versus 2023 
This is down 26 billion in 2023 from 2022. So you're looking at nearly $70 billion in reduced net cash farm income since 2020. Government payments would be the smallest this year uh, and next year as far as the last 10 years go, even though expenses have not followed suit. Impacts from the USDA's farm income forecast very quickly entered the farm bill debate as uh, senators did begin their Senate Ag Committee meetings. So John Rosenboom of Arkansas stated that their current farm safety net needs revamped. It's not equipped to handle the challenges that farmers are facing today, which is why this needs to be a focus. Of course, USDA Secretary Tom Bilsack put a positive spin, at least on his comments, to the forecast, stating that we have had the highest income record levels of income the last couple of years, but still legislatures are stating that this might be a motivation to get that farm bill as a top priority in this legislative session. So Delane, we'll keep an eye on that to see if this Senate Ag Committee meeting comes together with a proposal to be able to send on down the line. All right. You're cautiously optimistic. I'm not so much after reading through a lot of farm bill news earlier this week in preparation for my speeches. But, you know, as you mentioned there, Tanner, the farm income levels are going to drop this year. And that's expected to drop by 25%. Part of that being that exports are also expected to drop this year, which has a direct impact on producers' bottom lines. As we look at the year ahead here for our U.S. trade deficit, the USDA is forecasting that ag exports will be at about $169.5 billion, which sounds pretty good. But then you look at the import side of the balance sheet, they're expecting us to be around $200 billion for fiscal year 2024, which would put us at a trade deficit of $30.5 billion. So that's certainly not optimistic or positive for uh, U.S. farmers here, meaning we're going to have to bring in more products than we produce domestically in our shores. Uh, but that will most certainly have an impact here on our uh, commodity markets as that is a direct relation to the exports we're able to send to other countries. Yeah, that is something that caught my attention as well. I'm glad that you were able to share that. A federal court determined on Tuesday that the EPA unlawfully approved the use of dicamba for over the top on emerged soybeans and cotton crops. This was uh, a little bit of a shock to the system. The ruling by the U.S. District Court of Arizona in Tucson yesterday vacated the 2020 registrations for Monsanto, which is now Bayer's, Extendamax, and BASF's Ingenia and Syngenta's Tavium products. The EPA has not said whether or not it will respond to the court's decision. The ruling for now means that U.S. farmers will not be able to use dicamba for weed control this season. In response to the court's decision, BASF did issue a formal statement. Most soybean and cotton growers have made seed and chemistry purchases and decisions. In some cases, some are already planting their 2024 crop in the coming weeks. As a result, this order may threaten the livelihoods of soybean and cotton farmers who rely on using these over-the-top products with dicamba as far as their control in their weed resistance program. BASF added that 40 million dicamba-tolerant soybean and cotton acres will directly be impacted if this announcement is going to take effect immediately. 
After the announcing of their decision, the U.S. District Court of Arizona acknowledged that dicamba is an effective herbicide, but says that its toxicity is not limited to weeds. It kills broadleaf plants, generally potentially desirable plants, as well as others if it moves off the field. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this, Delaney, to see if there is expansion about this. Of course, the Agricultural Retailers Association issued a statement that it disagrees with the court's decision. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more statements made here in the next coming days as well. Well, Tanner, as we take a look here at some other uh, tech-related Tech-related ag news, we've got an interesting new partnership that could prove fruitful for farmers looking for some new irrigation tech. CropX Technologies has announced the launch of a new product in partnership with Ranky Irrigation to refine water management for farmers through their field-specific evapotranspiration measurements of crop water. What does that mean? Good question. They're able to provide an affordable, actual evapotranspiration measurement, which is basically a sensor mounted on a Ranky Center Pivot irrigation system that's exclusively available through the company. And this is going to be able to indicate the total water used by plants and evaporated from the soil. They said without sensors like these, farmers' decisions are more prone to be influenced by generalized data, assumptions, and less precise methods. So I figured it was only a matter of time before we saw something, you know, to this level, Tanner, being able to measure water in the plant and in the soil level. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad technology is moving forward in that direction. We did get... A headline yesterday that stated the U.S. trade dispute with Mexico over the genetically modified corn is expected to be resolved by the end of the year. Chief Agricultural Negotiator Doug McCaleb issued that statement yesterday. Mexico published a presidential decree in 2020 that created this issue. And in August, the U.S. requested the dispute panel under the North American Trade Pact, arguing that Mexico's decree is not based on science. Mexico does buy a significant amount of our corn every year, so this would be some positive movements there. Also saw positive movements, Delaney, in ethanol production for this week. Ethanol production did go up. As we looked at the levels, it rose to a three-week high, and inventories also increased. Biofuel was produced at 1.033 million barrels per day. That's up from 991 the week before, ethanol inventories rose to 24.779 million barrels. That's up from 24.27 million barrels. So seeing a couple of decent headlines there, hopefully to help turn the corn markets around. But that's what I've got today for headlines. Well, it seems that that hasn't maybe turned the corn markets around, but it certainly has maybe helped to give a little boost here. And ahead of today's WASD report, Tanner, we're actually seeing grains in the overnight here try to push a little higher. Uh, we don't expect today's WASD report to be a big market mover, but you never know what the USDA will put out there. As we head into opening session here this morning, March corn is up a half a cent at 434 and three quarters. March soybeans up five and a quarter on the board at 1194. March Chicago wheat down eight and three quarters cents this morning at 593 and a quarter. Hard red March winter wheat down eight and a quarter cent at 610 and March spring wheat down four and a half cents at 691 and three quarters.
Taking a look at the livestock markets and where they'll open this morning, April live cattle will open on the board at a buck eighty-four eighty. March feeder cattle at two forty-five fifty, and April lean hogs this morning will open up on the board at eighty-one ten. Dana, I mentioned we're chatting with the Twitter superstar today, but uh, we are chatting with Susan Noble, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners follow on Twitter. We're going to be chatting all things renewable energy, cash grain markets, and more. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Susan. All right, we are going to take this conversation on the road. Well, not necessarily, but uh, happy to have Susan Stroud here of noble ag and uh that's not noble like the peace prize that's noble like it's a serious business right that would be correct well welcome to the show why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, we'll dive into your background thanks thanks for having me um so I've spent the majority of my career working uh, in cash grade merchandising, um, both for ADM and consolidated grain and barge in the St. Louis area. So uh, most of my time was spent uh, buying buying bushels from producers, and we were uh, both of those are large river facilities, so loading barges um, to make their way down the Mississippi for export out of the Gulf. Uh, and I left the cash grain world back in 2020, uh, got into producer consulting, and throughout my career, I've been, um, I've always liked to write about markets, and I kind of made a transition into uh, making a full-time career of writing and analyzing what I see happening with corn, beans, and wheat. So now I, um, I do a lot of speaking but, and presenting, but also my main, main line of work is Noble. It is a, a subscription-based email service with a few uh, market updates a week. And Susan, I love that uh, how our paths kind of crossed. It was very random a couple weeks ago. You were in the airport in Minneapolis with Matt Bennett, a good friend of the podcast, and we just happened to collide into each other at that point. But I've been following your journey on Twitter for quite some time and have really loved the content you share and just the focal point you place on different pieces within the ag space. One of those being the renewables space. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast trying to just get to the bottom of the sustainable aviation fuel and the renewables space. But when you're going and presenting at groups, speaking at groups, I know that's one of the main topics you focus on. What's your 10,000 foot view of this industry right now? Um, so a few weeks ago, I was in Ohio. <clears throat> I was speaking about uh, the low carbon fuel standard and the, the build out in U.S. crush capacity, or I should say the resulting build out in U.S. crush capacity and some of those things. Big focus on the bean market. And uh, someone in, in the line asked me, like, why, why do you talk about beans? So much, and um, and especially for me because my most of my background is a river and kind of a, an export type focus. It's kind of strange that I spend a lot of time talking about bean processing now, but um, you know you kind of you have to go the direction that the market is leading, and this is definitely something that it's really impacted us the past few years. I think that in general. Um, Producers are 
or maybe even the industry as a whole, unless you're really deeply involved in crush, really don't realize the, the transformation that's been underway the past few years with uh, renewable diesel now becoming a huge thing, thank you to California. And then as that's transformed, uh, the soybean oil market will share and just kind of created this whole new dynamic for the US bean market. Um, now though, as we kind of, uh, we've gotten to this point where capacity has grown so much and we are producing enough renewable diesel now on top of the biodiesel we were already producing that we're out producing um, the RFS mandate and we're starting to kind of see some of the after effects of this big boom that happened um, between 21 and 22. Yeah, that's interesting because we know as most of our market conversations have been lately that we need to find another source of demand because not only are we out producing on these biofuel products, we're outgrowing the crops that make those. So what are you seeing down the pipeline for ways that demand can increase through those avenues? Well, the, the next obvious one uh, would be sustainable aviation fuel. Um, and that's something that's been on my radar for a few years now. And one of the big things for me was going back a, a few years ago, ADM um, had an announcement. They were, were, they were partnering with GEVO, um, to, which is a effectively sustainable aviation fuel company, or they have the technology for that. And so uh, they were partnering and they announced that they would be transitioning up to half of their existing ethanol production capacity into um, the production of sustainable aviation fuel or something that would be uh, like prepping ethanol for sustainable aviation fuel. So when that happened at first, um, you know, something, an announcement of that magnitude or when you have a company like ADM making that announcement, then that kind of causes, for me, it causes me to go down other um, paths to investigate. But the crazy thing about sustainable aviation fuel is it's not just, um, you can produce it with using both a lipid, so like soybean oil or a vegetable oil or waste fat or grease. So the same thing that we're producing renewable diesel or biodiesel out of right now, or you can do what's called ethanol to jet, producing it from a starch. And so that's really the thing that's catapulted um, sustainable aviation fuel into the news here recently, especially with the opening of Lanza Jet's um, sustainable aviation fuel plant in Georgia. They're actually the, the world's first ethanol to jet plant. Um, but the kicker is that as uh, legislation has it now, um, the only type of ethanol that, or the only ethanol that they're utilizing currently to make sustainable aviation fuel is actually Brazil imported Brazilian sugarcane ethanol. Reason being because sugarcane ethanol has a lower carbon uh, footprint, so lower carbon intensity score, and corn-based ethanol. So, you know, while it's, wow, this, this is a great thing for uh, U.S. corn or for ethanol, we still have a lot of challenges ahead because the government sets particular guidelines, and um, to make the sustainable, the production of sustainable aviation fuel feasible, you have to have 
a particular, or you have to be below a particular carbon intensity threshold. And that is not a level um, that the U.S. corn ethanol can hit today. And I should also go back and say that it's not, you know, we have the technology to make it, but um, being able to produce it in a feasible manner requires uh, a lot of uh, government subsidy. And in this instance, it's tax credits that come back from the Inflation Reduction Act of a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I think the subsidy piece is the one that I've heard a lot of analysts suggest is it really has to be able to stand on its own without government support before it's really a viable industry. But as we look at the comparison of SAF to ethanol, for example, I think a lot of people have this hope that it's going to be a silver bullet for the corn industry. Maybe once we get some of those carbon intensity and carbon pieces figured out. Susan, what's your outlook for the SAF market? Is it that silver bullet we've been looking for? Uh, I think that the the problem is, you know, we, we all want to go green, right, in some capacity. And it doesn't matter if it's the government making a push for it or if it is someone as an individual making particular decisions because they want to be more conscious of their carbon footprint. But those things come with a cost. We're doing things the way we're doing them now because they're the most cost effective, right? So... While it is lovely that we have the grand challenge that the Biden administration uh, put together, we're, you know, as part of us going net zero as a country by 2050, we're going to take aviation to this whole new level of net zero or having a much smaller carbon intensity. But the problem is, is that it takes a lot of money to get there. And um, and especially the fact that we have a really big election coming up in November. We could, just with that election, if we see a change in administration, that could derail or um, slow a lot of the transition, that, the things that have been put into place the past few years. That's a good point. We haven't talked a lot about what effects that election could have yet. But I do want to get into some of your past expertise when you mentioned river traffic and barge traffic. How are our waterway levels currently and what impact do you see that having on getting grain moved? Uh, things are much, things are much, much better today uh, than they have been even, I would say, going back the past 18 months or so. You know, we've had a few instances where levels have came back up, but they're, they've been fairly quick to drop. Um, the benefit right now is that we've had decent, you know, we had that huge snow um, back a few weeks ago. I think that's half of what uh, was causing is a delay, is Matt and I ran into Delaney in the airport. We had just gotten off of a few days of very awful travel, probably the worst travel experience of my entire life. But, um, you know, big snows and things in the uh, upper Mississippi basin that's helping a lot um so you know we that cold snap created a lot of issues with ice and then ice flows but now with this very mild weather that we're experiencing that's kind of an ideal situation uh in fact i think we have we have high water conditions now on the illinois that are causing some problems but 
thank goodness we're back in a situation where we actually have some water in the system and we're not fighting low water conditions, which reduce drafts. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what's caused us the biggest problems here. Back since early in fall, the fall of 22, and we went on, we essentially went through the entire 22-23 marketing year having huge issues with logistics because of low water. And it was probably one of the bigger factors, aside from Brazil having both a record bean and corn crop, a big driving factor in the fact that the U.S. was not competitive for so long, and we saw much smaller export programs as a result. Susan, before we let you go, we really appreciate the insight you've shared with us today. If our listeners want to check you out on social media or check out the newsletter that you mentioned, what's the best place to go to find you? Um, so on Twitter, it's at Susan No Bull. And if you would like to check out my website, it is nobullag.com. Great. Well, Susan, thanks again for joining us today. We'll have to have you on again soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Well, it's great to have her join us, and hopefully we can have her back for some Market Monday conversations. Excited to move on to our next interview tomorrow. So listeners, don't go too far. We'll be back again tomorrow, right, Delaney? Absolutely. But for now, Tanner, should we let everyone go? Let's let them go.